Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your hosts, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am. It has been an eventful week. It really has. And an eventful day. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to know where to start, but why don't we start with today? Okay. It was uh, big news of a shakeup in the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives. Indeed. Liberals and conservatives are doing a lot of talking about it. Yeah, and and what we're talking about is uh, the removal of uh, Liz Cheney as, uh, I guess, the number three in the leadership of uh, the Republican Party, the minority party in the House. That's right. And she had just survived a similar vote um, back in uh, either January or February, if I recall correctly. Well, and there have been a couple of changes recently, and and we've got some audio from uh, Kevin McCarthy just uh, not that long ago. He was caught on a hot mic saying what he thought about her, whereas he had previously been supporting her for a while. I've had it with her. It's, you know, I've lost confidence. He's pretty clear he'd lost confidence in her at that point. Yeah, and she was his his chosen pick, if you will. And, and that's how she got the job, is through his uh, support and uh, his efforts to, to have her join the leadership at a fairly high position. Like you said, she's number three in the House GOP conference, or was. Yeah, and then leading into this week, he made this statement on uh, Maria Bartiroma's show over the weekend. Do you have the votes to formally oust Liz Cheney? Well, Maria, everyone in leadership serves at the pleasure of the conference. And as you know, there is a lot at stake. Democrats are destroying this nation. Any member can take whatever position they believe in. That's what that's what the voters vote on the individuals and they make that decision. What we're talking about is a position in leadership. We are in one of our biggest battles ever for this nation and the direction whether this next century will be ours. Do you support Elise Stefanik for that job? Yes, I do. You know, one of the interesting things is that Cheney actually had a voting record which was more in line with Trump priorities than Elise Stefanik, according and, to the numbers. And substantially more, according to the numbers, um, by maybe a, a 25% or so, um, which is hard to to kind of wrap, for me anyway, to wrap my head around. Um, one of the things that Stefanik has not done that, <clears throat> excuse me, Cheney did, was Cheney seems to be parroting the Democrat and mainstream media talking points about uh, January the sixth and the episode and the uh, the episode there at the Capitol and saying that it was an insurrection um, and I think that in and of itself probably more so um, than the impeachment vote cost her her position I think she survived the impeachment vote um, and probably would have continued to I also read that she um, she was not good at raising money, and and that that seems to have hurt her uh, within the conference and 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 within the leadership in particular. And um, I guess uh, it was over the maybe it was over the weekend or early this week, uh, the story came out that she was instrumental in getting the letter 
that was publicly written by former secretaries of defense, including her father, um, against uh, Donald Trump and uh, his efforts um, and really sort of calling it to question his competency and what continued leadership by, by, by Mr. Trump would mean for our country. Um, and uh, that was, um, I think, something that she didn't want known. Uh, and uh, I think that may have been the cherry on top of the, uh, the Sunday that caused her to judge this you know, in terms of the numbers, the, the one statistic I saw was that she had voted with Trump 93% of the time and Stefanik 78% of the time. Yeah. But I, I think that goes to a demonstration of the fact that, for the most part, the Trump administration was mainstream conservative. That's right. Uh, and she was mainstream conservative also. Not to say anything about Stefanik, she's a, a perhaps less conservative. The The issue, the breakdown... Uh, surrounding impeachment and then the events after that and the fact that she has continued to push so hard personally against President Trump. That's right. And uh, and she has made it personal. And he, he issued a statement uh, late this afternoon that responded sort of in kind. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, Stefanik comes from New York and she, she has a different constituency than, than does Liz Cheney, obviously, in, in, in Wyoming. And you know, that may account to some extent for some of her uh, less than supportive, I guess you'd say that, that that sounds worse perhaps than I meant it. But but the difference in her voting record in Liz Cheney's is she is she's from uh, upstate New York as opposed to Wyoming. But um, Cheney is, uh, you know, she she got herself out there on this limb and then she's continued to double down. I mean, she she walked out of the meet the conference room today i suppose they were in a committee room um and uh walked up to the microphones and and promised you know uh, to do everything she could to keep donald trump away from the oval office in the future i mean just really threw down the gauntlet and you know kind of uh, metaphorically thunder thunder nose at him yeah and this is what that sounded like uh, I uh, will do uh, everything I can to ensure uh, that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. We have seen the danger uh, that he continues to provoke with his language. Uh, we have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution. Uh, and I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody who will be faithful to the Constitution. I think that Liz Cheney is the Democrats' favorite Republican now. She is. You know, she's been endorsed by almost all of them, uh, in particular Nancy Pelosi, uh, in the sense that they have cast aspersions um, and criticized the Republican efforts to have her removed, uh, which were, uh, as we're talking about, successful this morning. Um, and I, I, I think, uh, you know, somewhere deep in the in her soul or, or in the back of her mind when, when things calm down and she thinks about it, she'll realize that that's exactly why she got removed is that she's their favorite Republican. And, um, you know, she's, she's, I think we touched on this last week. She's talking about perhaps running for president in 24. Um, Donald Trump says that's because he knows she knows she's going to get beat in her, in her primary, uh, in 2024, if not in 2022. Um, I don't know whether that's true or not. It's a it's a Cheney state has been for 
probably close to 50 years, but um, maybe even longer. But um, she certainly has stepped in it with with her with with the Republican Party base, and I think that will hurt her. Not necessarily, it'll hurt her in a congressional race. I don't know that it'll cost it, um, but it'll hurt her if she, in, in fact, truly uh, aspires to national office. Um, and, and, and I don't think she's thought that through. Uh, I saw an interesting tweet um, earlier, and it really sort of, I, I thought, rang true and captured it's from a fellow named Graham Allen, no relation. He owns a T-shirt company called uh, 912united.com, which uh, 912 obviously is the day after September 11th. Um, but he says, Cheney's removal from leadership proves that the small anti-Trump wing of the GOP is done. Americans want change. They want America first. They want more than a vote. They want fighters. This is a shockwave to career. Then he puts in parentheses, out-of-touch politicians, you are all on notice. Uh, and I, I thought that was um, right on point um, and uh, encapsulated sort of why she finds herself in this position. Well, that's a good segue because I want to go consider that a little bit deeper and ask your thoughts about this because – I have seen this reaction after presidential elections several times. We have to, after uh, Mitt Romney, the Republican Party was going to do a deep postmortem, and that was a word I saw in a lot of articles. Uh, basically, every time a party loses, they start trying to re-examine themselves. More so with the Republicans, according to the mainstream media, than the Democrats. That's right. But I question whether or not any of that's really appropriate. Uh, yeah, every election now is decided by a handful of votes in a handful of states, so it's hard to draw a lesson from it. But more to the point, Cheney seems to have been sucked into this issue about President Trump's personality without considering his policies. Setting aside the issues of, of January 6th, which I'll, I'll hit in just a moment, the fact is this was a mainstream conservative administration. And as much got accomplished from that perspective, legislatively, as with any Republican in, in decades, probably, probably more so. Re- probably so. I think you're 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 spot on, and and I think uh, I think she got, as you said, all wrapped up and lost her focus in this, you know, orange mad orange man bad attitude, and and this whole business about uh, you know. We can put up with anything except mean tweets. Um, and, you know, we, we're looking now uh, at um, the situation, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about it, obviously. But, um, you know, we're left with a situation. I want to read this because I thought it was, was really pithy. The first basically 100 days of the Biden administration, his accomplishments are as follows. Killed the Keystone XL pipeline. We have gas lines. $3 per gallon of gas is the national average. Inflation, the numbers out today were the 4.2% inflation for the month of April. That's the highest since 2008. The dollar's crumbling. The economy is sluggish. Unemployment is way up. Uh, border crisis, which the administration denies exists. Homicides nationwide are exploding. And Israel is literally on fire. 
but no mean tweets. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's where we find ourselves. Uh, and it's, it's really, it's disappointing, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, that mature, capable, bright people who show promise are sent to Washington and they get to Washington and they forget all the things they said to get elected and they join the Washington elite and turn their back on us folks. And I think that's really the, the takeaway, at least from my perspective of this Liz Cheney thing. Is I would maybe, agree. Maybe those days are coming to an end. I hope so. That list of accomplishments in 100 days for Joe Biden is remarkable. Uh, you know, just a, just a very short quote from a piece I saw today in the Daily Wire. Uh, Shapiro had written, Joe Biden is the luckiest man to ever assume the presidency. He succeeded an unpopular figure. He was inaugurated just two weeks after the dramatic storming of the U.S. Capitol by extremist Donald Trump supporters seeking to stop the certification of the 2020 election, which was also the beginning of the year after widespread race riots. He inherited COVID-19 vaccines and a vaccine rollout plan and could rightly expect to ride the tsunami of natural economic recovery that was predicted for the aftermath of the pandemic. He inherited a series of historic Middle Eastern peace deals. In other words, President Biden had it easy. All he had to do was nothing. Instead, he has screwed it up every which way to Sunday. He really has. And, uh, you know, the the interesting thing, um, basically a month ago, the Biden administration resumed sending money to the Palestinian Authority. $234 $234 million, and here we are. Um, and that was despite a recognition um, by the Biden administration that they knew that when that aid resumed, that it would, it, that they were, it would be paid to terrorists. And they said, we're not going to change our mind despite that. And here we are. And, and what happened also after they started sending that money? The Palestinian authorities suspended the elections, which they had promised for years. Uh, the head of the Palestinian Authority has been in office for something like 15 years, following a election to a four-year term or something like that. That's right. Um, and, and, and what's going on in Israel as a proxy war, Iran is funding providing weapons, probably providing personnel, providing training. Um, and and Joe Biden can't wait to lift sanctions and start sending them pallets of cash again with his less than feckless Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. I mean, you talk about a, the poster child for the Peter Principle. That man is completely weak and ineffective. He got humiliated by the Chinese in Alaska, and now he's he's got this situation in the Middle East, and I'm sure you saw that the Israelis were sending tanks to the border. Um, there, some of the one of the leaders in Hamas was calling for Palestinian citizens of all shapes, sizes, ages, sexes, whatever to attack Jews and cut off their heads using cheap knives. I'm not sure why they needed to be cheap, but nevertheless. Um, well, I think uh, I think what they said is knives are cheap. 
Oh, okay. This is what you need to do. You need to okay. go and buy a knife. You can afford that. And then they explained how to uh, attack and, and kill behead, a Jewish yeah. person. And, the, and they can afford it because all of the, the aid that they've gotten through all the years never trickles down to the people it's supposed to help, the the, the folks in the camps and, and who are you know truly in, in a bad situation. Um, they don't get the benefit of all the dollars that have flown for years and decades. That, that, that goes with the, the big boys at the top and the, the terrorists. Um, and it's truly unfortunate. And, you know, this may or may not end quickly. It's really uh, unfortunate and scary in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, when you can turn on your computer, because I, I, I don't, as you know, I, I don't watch a lot of television news anymore, but, but what I watch, they don't, they're not paying a great deal of attention uh, to the nightly videos from Israel that show the, the rocket launches and the, the Iron Dome response. Um, but you can see it all over Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram and all those things, and it's, it's, it's amazing. And it's not a few dozen rockets or a few hundred rockets. We're no, I saw hundreds and hundreds that have been fired into Israeli population centers. The, the last figure I saw was 1,500, and that was hours old. And interestingly, and you know this, the Israelis are warning the folks around these buildings where they have evidence that Hamas command and control uh, technology and, and, and folks are that we're, we're going to target this building. We're giving you time if you are a civilian or you wish to desist to get out of there um, before we attack it. Hamas does not do the same. They just lo lob these missiles into uh, known civilian areas, hoping to do as much damage and, and strike as much fear and chaos as they can. And interestingly, they had all these rocks and things in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. They were using that as a as a cover, um, and they, they hide behind women and children. That's what they do. And it's um, it's unfortunate. It really is. It's There's sad. a video out there where they're firing missiles from the middle of a street mm -hmm. between civilian houses. And that is not for any reason other than to invite a response which will kill civilians. That's right. Which will put Israel in a bad light. That's right. And um, and I saw where approximately 200, I think, and this was yesterday, so maybe it's probably more now, but about 200 of their own missiles have fallen short of the Israeli border and have landed in, uh, in Gaza itself and in all likelihood have harmed uh, – you know, uh, Palestinians, um, and, and the mainstream media doesn't, doesn't seem to want to, to talk about that. Did you see the video of the funeral procession? Uh, it's shot from above. I don't know whether it was from a building or a drone, but some, and I don't remember if it was eight or six or 12 or whatever, but not very many young men were walking a, um, a, a, a funeral pier, beer, whatever that word is. Um, you're the wordsmith, uh, down the street with a sheet over what was obviously a body. And all of a sudden you can see that they something happens and they they quickly put the the object down and take off. And while they're doing that, the, the, the person who's supposed to be dead digs out from the sheet, gets up, looks around, and he takes off running. 
I did not see that. That's, that's great. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, if it wasn't so serious, it would have been hilarious. Uh, you know, it, the whole situation is serious. And, you know, as you mentioned a moment ago, I think our Secretary of State has not done very much to become involved in it. You would expect America as the America of old, we would have a strong voice here. Yeah. And we would already be speaking to the parties and trying to move something along. Yeah, and I, and, and, and I, I think you're right. I also think that that probably is the wrong thing, too. Part of the problem in the Middle East is that we and the world at large have never allowed total victory. We always stop the Israelis short of their goal of victory. And as a result, they've not conquered their enemies. Now, they've still been able to make peace with the Egyptians, the Jordanians, uh, now the Saudis. Um, but as it relates to the Palestinians, they've not. And I, I don't know that if I were president, that I would step in at this point. I, I, I might say that enough is enough. And the Palestinians, you know, they really have it a very easy path uh, to what they claim they want, and that is stop trying to kill Jews and eliminate the state of Israel. It's just that simple, and they won't do it. Uh, and, you know, the Israelis, I think, um, I used to know the number off the top of my head, but the shortest point from a width perspective of that country, you can shoot a, you know, a, an old technology missile over that point into the ocean, no problem, and have been able to do it almost since the, the 1948 when the, when the country was created. You know, they are a hair's breadth away from devastation and defeat all the time, constantly. Um, and so I think that I, if I were in charge of American foreign policy, and I'd like to know your thought on this. I don't know that I would stop the Israelis this time. I might say, do what you got to do. I can understand the appeal of that. I don't know if that would play out well in the end or what the consequences would be. That's um, a very good question. You know, one of the things is that uh, about a, a fifth of the population of Israel is Arabic. They have political rights there. They vote. They have a significant political party, which will have a hand in electing the new prime minister of Israel. That's right. Jews from Israel don't have those same rights when they go to Gaza or the West Bank. No, they don't. It's, and, it's two entirely different situations. And 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 uh, Arab citizens of Israel are required to serve in the IDF, just like the Jewish citizens are. Um, and and they have, as you know, full civil rights. People forget that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. Um, and it is a true democracy. I mean, like you said, they have a political party. They have some some leverage, uh, particularly when a nation is divided as Israel is now. But uh, the Palestinians and their leadership don't seem to want to play ball. Well, that's why that's why I reject this this language about circle of violence or cycle of violence that you hear from the media because it's really one sided. You right. don't see the provocative attacks from Israel. Uh, I guess I feel like though that the U.S. should have a leadership position because Israel is our ally. Does that mean putting restrictions on them? Not necessarily, but 
you know, we should be involved so that we would have some standing, some credibility in the region. And I don't think we do. I don't think you're right. I think what, what we had, and as you said, it was increasing as a result of the Jared Kushner brokered peace deals, um, which he took a lot of flack for and, and was made fun of and mocked. But those were important. That's all been thrown away. In a little but what was days. remarkable about those peace deals is that the Trump administration, the Trump administration, effectively just said, "We're not going to try to solve the Palestinian problem." That's right. We're going to reach out to others who are willing to work with Israel as a state. That's right. Anybody willing to to meet Israel halfway was included and was dealt with in good faith. And it, it was good for them, it was good for the Israelis, and it was good for the world. And now I'm afraid a lot of it is gone. But we'll see. Maybe it's not all gone in the sense that a lot of, I, th- I think, I don't know that this to be the case, but I think a lot of that may have been driven not only by uh, one factor being that, that Trump didn't uh, tie uh, the deals to the Palestinian issue, but also because Saudi Arabia in particular, but other nations fear Iran. And they know that Iran wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Um, and so that, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend um, has sort of, I think, provided some impetus to some of the some of the folks for uh, a desire to make peace with Israel or, or restore uh, sort of normal or even not restore, but but create normalized relations. That's right. And, and Iran is is funding Hamas, which is um, taking that money and buying bombs and missiles. But, you know, we, we moved to Israel pretty quickly. I just wanted to make one other point about the Liz Cheney situation. Sure. Uh, because I, I said that I would. But, you know, I think a lot of her motivation is self-serving because she blames Trump for, uh, for January 6th, for what happened then. And she buys into this media and Democrat perspective that it's all the big lie. She's even used that language. And I just think there are problems with that narrative, uh, not to justify any illegal activity that occurred on January 6th. To me, a criminal is a criminal and is a criminal, and they should all uh, pay the price for what they did. Um but the fact that there were some crazy yahoos and criminals that did stuff that day, I don't think you can put all of that back on Trump. And I also don't think it's correct to say that everyone who believes there were problems in the 2020 election is somehow questioning the results uh, of the election. I think those are all good points. I think they're appropriate. I think they're correct. I keep hearing conservatives are being hit with this question um, by interviewers and, and the like, do you believe the election was stolen? Well, my free advice to anyone who's asked that question is, okay, well, before I answer that, let's define what you mean by stolen. That's right. D- do you mean that someone stuffed the ballot box like Lyndon Johnson did in his first election? Well, I, I can't prove that happened. But do you mean that executive branches in various states changed the rules when the Constitution gave that authority to the legislature? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that happened. Yeah. Do you mean that uh, various Supreme Courts said those rules are fine, even though they weren't passed by the legislature? Yeah, that pretty much happened. Did the mainstream media and big tech suppress certain stories about Joe Biden? 
and Hunter. And his son? Yeah. Yeah, that pretty much happened. Yeah. All those are true. Absolutely. And and I would note, um, we're a hundred and what is it, hundred and ten days or so into the Biden administration and Hunter's still on the board of the Chinese corporation and, and he all the things that he promised he would divest himself of and resign from he has not done. That takes time. Uh, yeah. Other news, I'm, saw, I'm sure you saw this, that a bankruptcy judge denied the NRA's bankruptcy petition. I did not see that. I, I noticed you had an NRA reference in uh, what you sent me earlier, and I wondered why. Um, wow, tell me about that. The NRA, for its history, has been incorporated in the state of New York. The Attorney General, Letitia James, has made it a point to go after the NRA. NRA. She has asked a court to order their dissolution as her... Uh, pretext because of inappropriate spending and misuse of funds. So the NRA recently made the decision. I guess the executive board uh, made this decision. They presented it to whatever group, you know, had to ratify it, that they would file a bankruptcy petition, dissolve themselves and reincorporate in the state of Texas. Uh, The uh, federal judge has denied that petition. They could certainly file again. But as of now, that plan is is no longer. Wow. What do you know the basis for denying the petition? I have not seen the order on that. That's that's interesting. You know, I, I, I assume when you when you referenced the spending issues that uh, the New York Attorney General um, was using as a basis to attack the NRA, that gets back to that whole Oliver North Wayne Lapierre fight of a year or two ago. Um, where they tried to oust uh, LaPierre, and he ended up ousting North uh, from the from a and I forget what his title was. Was he president or chairman or or whatever? I know uh, Oliver North was president. Right. Uh, LaPierre is executive director that's, position he's had for twenty some years. That's right. And he was spending a lot of money, uh, NRA money, on uh, tailored suits and things like that. And North had a problem with it. And I honestly never figured out who who was who was the good guy and who was the bad guy uh, in that whole thing. But um, it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out. I know you are a member and I am a member and I support their efforts. Well, you want to talk sports? Sure. Always. Did, did you watch the Kentucky Derby? Of course. Don't, it was exciting. All, all good Americans watch the Kentucky Derby. It was an exciting finish, wasn't it? It was. It was. I don't know anything about horses, but I like to watch the Triple Crown. I will admit that. As they make their way to the top of the stretch, Medina Spirit and Mandalone are stride for stride. Hot Rod Charlie and Essential Quality closing on the outside. The four of them come into the final furlong. Mandalone fighting for the front. Medina Spirit battles on. Hot Rod Charlie on the outside. Essential Quality on the far outside. The four of them coming to the finish in the Kentucky Derby. Here's the wire. Bob Baffert does it again. Medina Spirit has won the Kentucky Derby. Mandaloon was second. Hot Rod Charlie was third. Essential Quality was fourth. 2 the final time. Bob Baffert stands alone with seven Derby wins. So Medina Spirit won the Derby May 1st. This week, uh, the horse's drug test came back positive. Pronounce the substance. Beta-methasone. Beta-methasone. 
um, corticosteroid, which they put into, uh, or they typically inject into, into horses' joints to reduce pain and swelling. I, I looked up picogram. It is one trillionth of a gram. In scientific notation, you write it 10 to the negative 12th power. Honestly, I, I thought, you really think that, what was it, 20, 21 or 26 picograms of this stuff made a difference? Well, that was Bob Baffert's position. This, this did not have, that horse has never been treated with that. And it, it's a, actually, it's a legal therapeutic medicine. And the amount that was in it wouldn't have any effect on the horse anyway. But we don't, we, we, that horse was never treated with that. And so that's the disturbing part of it. But I cannot believe, um, I never thought I'd have to be fighting for my reputation and, and this poor horse's reputation because of the new regulations the regulators have put. They're testing these horses at, at contaminated levels. And, um, it's, it's just it's been a horrible experience. So, Bob, just at the beginning of that answer, you, you were about to say it did not happen. Is that what you were about to say? It did, it did not happen. And that's that's the really seriously troubling part of it. And we're, I'm, you know, I'm hiring investigators, but sometimes you never find out. And it's just it's a it's just a, a tragedy what's happening in this race. Hey, uh. He has a, a reputation that has um, not improved lately with regard to his horses and their drug test issues. It's- no, he's had several horses that tested positive. Now, Baffert set a record. He, he was a trainer. This was his seventh derby win, which broke the old record of six wins by the same trainer. He completely denied it, as you just heard. Uh, but as an update, uh, yesterday he admitted that the horse had been given some type of antifungal ointment, which did contain betamethasone. Yeah, and and they showed pictures of the dermatitis that the horse was apparently suffering from. And, you know, even to a layperson like me, you could see that there was some sort of skin issue on the horse's right rear hip, as I recall. Obviously not an authority. But what I had seen was what you had talked about was that, that, that this was an injection, and then he was talking about an ointment. Um, and he claimed that he was told by the veterinarian to put it in there or put it on the on the horse, um, and that he, he didn't know uh, that this betamethasone was contained in the ointment. I suppose. But just to be, be clear, betamethasone is allowed to be injected into horses' joints. It's it's a legal drug in the state of Kentucky. That's right. Uh, they're just not supposed to use it for 14 days prior to a race. That's right. And um, according to him, they had used it right up until the day before the race. Again, the, the ointment. That's right. The ointment on the dermatitis. Again, he, he, he's pleading ignorance. But he also, as I recall, said uh, that the veterinarian had, had told him that it, it would not have made a difference in, in the race. Well, and, and the I, horse uh, Medina Spirit will race at the Preakness this weekend. That's right. Um, he Baffert is, uh, I guess, temporarily at least suspended from racing a horse at Churchill Downs, but not, not at. Uh, I guess it's is it Pimlico where the Preakness is um, this right. coming Saturday, um, and and I, I saw an interesting blog post this morning from Jonathan Turley, 
um, who is a constitutional expert. Um, um, but he, he was talking about there ought to be a way for people that bet legally on the Kentucky Derby and thought they won to sue because the race is likely to be overturned and these folks get no benefit. Apparently when the, when the, when, the, when they cross the finish line and they say, you know, horse A is the winner, that's it. The, the bets get paid. And like uh, two years ago when they uh, declared a foul and, 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 and uh, disqualified the, the winner, um, the bets don't get, a, you know, there's no, they don't get fixed. And he was saying that, you know, if you're going to let gamblers bet legally, either online or, or those that bet at the track, it's interesting to think that they ought to be given a, a way to to recoup when they when they suffer too as a result of cheating or scandal or rules violation. Don't know what the solution will be, but I just thought that was interesting. There's enough money out there that'll drive somebody or somebody's to to try and either through court action or or legislative action do something. Well, and if Churchill Downs voids Medina Spirit's win, then the runner-up would be named the winner and would get the $1.8 million prize. That's right. But who was Turley suggesting that they be able to sue? Baffert, the track? Well, that's that's what he says, is who, who do you sue? And I think my take, and of course it's been several hours since I read it, and it's been a, a week full of Mondays, but um, my, my take is that he, he was suggesting that you ought to be able to sue the Baffert, uh, the owner of uh, the trainer Baffert, the owner of that horse, um, and then potentially the track or the the the, 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 uh, the bookie, for lack of a better word, um, who uh, would be refusing to honor those who bet on the horse that that came in second. And then Amanda the Lowen was right, and the horse place. that came in fourth. Uh, because Which would you know, now be in in the money. That's right. It would now be a, a, a sh- the, the show, um, and I, you know that's probably law nerd stuff. But I thought it was interesting. That's an interesting idea. I mean, the other part of this is that the Derby gets a lot of attention, mm-hmm. but a track like Churchill Downs, they have lots and lots of races every year. That's right. Um, Maybe even it, every day. Every day, exactly. And and issues come up, horses get disqualified, drug test, or, you know, they bumped another horse or, or did something wrong. I, I wonder how they deal with it in the ordinary course of business. And and that's probably one reason to think it won't happen is it would just be too difficult to deal with. Yeah. I mean, one solution would be you don't pay out bets for 24 hours or 48 hours. That's right. That would do it. People want their money. Yeah. Especially when they're there taking part, uh, partaking of the mint juleps at the same time. Absolutely. Ever had a mint julep? I've never had a mint julep. I have. I don't even know dis- what goes in it. It was disgusting. Uh, I've never been more disappointed in my life. Um, bourbon is in it, and there's mint, and it was not a good combination for the kid here. Um, Were you wearing a seersucker suit at the time? I was not. Uh, okay, I don't that, remember where I was, but that um, would have made all the difference. Yeah, I'm sure it would have. I'm sure it would have. Uh, but it was. Um, I did not enjoy. <laughs> I have a delicate palate, perhaps. It it grows on you. Okay. Well, that's all we have for tonight. Did anything on your radar for this week? 
Well, just uh, it'd be interesting to watch the the Cheney fall out. It'll be interesting to watch the uh, Kentucky Derby fall out, plus how it may or may not affect uh, the Preakness. Um, and uh, and then the situation in Israel is is really fascinating to me, and, and in addition to being worrisome. And then I will say that I uh, the uh, the story that you texted me uh, late this afternoon about the uh, low A minor league in Florida uh, that was uh, seeing an explosion of of offense. Uh, I found very interesting, and I'm going to explore that uh, just because I think it's so interesting. I I would have expected with that's the for for the listeners who will remember several weeks ago when we discussed it, that that's the league that has the computerized balls and strikes, correct? That's correct. And that was episode four, if anyone wants to go back and download that. And and I, I would have suspected that if if using the computerized balls and strikes, it might even have cut down on offense. Although historically that league has been um, not, they didn't have the best pitching in the world in the low A leagues. Although that league, the name of that league and, and where those, franchises are was a high a league in the past and they had better pitching obviously than the low a but uh so i i thought that was fascinating and i want to keep my eye on that yeah and not only uh not only the low a robot umpire but all of the experimental rules we discussed before we're gonna have to see all the how all that turns out that's right and and you know maybe it's just me and it's anecdotal but there have been a number of no hitters in the big leagues this year um you know, recently, I think, was it Saturday night, Wade Miley with Reds threw one. Um, or, or if they're not no-hitters, they're close to being no-hitters. That's right. I get, uh, alerts on my phone constantly about a no-hitter watch. That's right. And it seems like almost every night there's one. I guess we'll have to keep an eye on that, too. And I noticed you have on a uh, a proper hat this evening. Yes, yeah, the uh, special Red Sox cap. I thought it was kind of unique because it has a state's outline. Yeah. What are you going to be watching? Uh, you know what? Anything I'm going to be watching probably won't matter in a week. Um, right. If this last week is any indication, uh, I think that I think uh, if anything, though, it's it's just the foibles that the Biden administration is dealing with. One story we didn't mention is that there was an inflation report today about significant inflationary pressure now. Um, that's what happens when you throw trillions of dollars into an economy that is only suffering artificially. That's right. Print the money. It's basic economics. And, of course, the other thing is, are we going to have gasoline next week? Uh, I think I saw, as I was waiting for you to join uh, the the podcast this evening, that Colonial says the pipeline is either open or will open quickly. Well, what I saw, which went into a little more detail, is that they are resuming operations. Okay. It's not clear what that means in terms of the flow of petroleum products. Okay. And then, of course, it's still got to get from the tank farm to each individual station. That's right. And and I saw where North Carolina is, has the highest percentage of stations with no gasoline in the southeast. Um, and there's none. In, I can tell you there's none in the Emerald City. Um, and I have 129 miles to empty, uh, so I don't know what's going to happen. If uh, plan to go anywhere? <laughs> no, well, I got to go down to Washington uh, on uh, on Friday and, and and handle something, but um, that's uh, 25 miles uh, one way, so uh, have to have to be careful. 
for the next week or so. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider and leave us a review. We'll see you next week.